So, with us all waiting on this new silk, it sounds like it's going to be a big rush job. Yeah, I'm guessing you'll need us to do a bit of overtime, will you? Um, go on. Carla. Ideally, I'd like to see some smoke coming off them machines. Mm, well, I wouldn't tempt fate. Got enough problems as it is. We <sighs> was just wondering when this new silk's due. Well, I promise you, Beth, when it arrives, you'll be the first to know, OK? Oh, so it is on its way, then? What is this? The Weatherfield Inquisition? The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 218 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornishian Street catch-up podcast that couldn't help wondering when Stephen was called International Man of Business if he was close to asking Carla if she was horny, baby. I'm Gavin. <laughs> well, there seems to be a two-second delay here. <laughs> there we go. You had me chuckling. Uh, <laughs> I hate it when that happens. What? When your intro catches me off guard and makes me laugh. Well, I try and do that every week, so it doesn't happen very often then. Throws everything else out of my head. Oh, well. And I'm debt free. <laughs> thank you, Joe Biden. Thank you, Joe Biden. And thank you, LBJ, for making Pell Grants a thing in the first place. Because it's because of my Pell Grant that I I qualify for the $20,000 forgiveness as opposed to the $10,000 forgiveness. Oh. That wipes out all of my debt. Which is nice. So it's mountain bikes all around for Christmas. <laughs> it's such a relief because, you know, I haven't really been paying much. I've been throwing some money at it when I remember to, but I haven't been paying right. much past. We should explain this. For the, the duration of the pandemic, it was, there was a kind of freeze put on it or it was interest free and you could just pay what you like. You didn't need to pay anything at all, I think. No. Right, so you chose to pay some towards it, which right. I think was a sensible thing to do. Yeah, for the course of the pandemic, and haven't and we were supposed to start paying back. Payments were supposed to restart this in f- month in full. Yeah, and now you know there's there's this debt forgiveness, and then if you have, if you if you still have have it, it's been pushed back till the end of December. So, thank you, Uncle Joe. <laughs> It's like, as we were saying last night, when you've got a car loan and you stop paying off your car loan, the best thing you can do is get a new car and a new car loan because that money that you're saving by not spending it on the car loan or your student loans in this example just gets eaten up in general other shit. Yeah, I'm not going back to college though. No. I suppose we do have Buy a car. two children coming up who will be attending college but hopefully will not have... The sort of loan issues. It seems like they're they're reformatting student loans so that they're not so un, unbearable. So. That's right, listeners. We've decided to pitch from Coronation Street to Student Finance Podcast, <laughs> also called the Talk of the Street, I'm sure which I think is, is going to cause some confusion. I'm sure this is this is fascinating for people who who don't live in the U.S. so don't don't realize that this, that this is yet another issue that we have here in the U.S. And all the others who neither know nor care. Right. It's like it's like you and cheerleaders. You're like, what's the point of this? <laughs> yeah. 
Who are these girls? So we went. What to are a, they here for? A nice little segue onto <laughs> last night when our child number two, child, child number, number three, child number two in the house though, so, uh, is in the marching band. Yes. So she was playing in, at the halftime show. Right. At the football game at the alumni stadium. Right. In Eaton Rapids. Yes. They played. Uh, a Superman theme. Not one that not I'm familiar the with. The Superman theme. The Avengers theme. And then Billie Eilish's No Time to Die yeah. from was exactly James Bond. <laughs> Jimmy Bond. A notorious hero. But, and I noticed you posted this on Facebook, what I'm meant to talk about as soon as we got there, but then forgot about, <laughs> was the woman who grabbed your arm. <laughs> so we are paying to get in because you have to pay to get into these things even though it's like kids that are playing this right but they're high school kids right and it's expensive as we know because we have to pay 180 dollars anyway, in athletic fees you for... have to go to a box office and buy your ticket yes and as we're buying our ticket the woman who's stamping your arm to allow you to get in because you don't actually get a ticket right she grabs your arm and twists it and i'm like right. what the fuck's going on here <laughs> Because she wants to get a better look at my tattoo. Yeah, I thought she was trying to wrestle a gun from you or something. <laughs> but she doesn't say, oh, what is your tattoo? Or, oh, can I see your tattoo? No, she just grabs my arm and twists it over and then says, nice tattoo. And I'm so shocked that I just kind of say, thanks, and walk away. But it was horrifying. <laughs> Especially horrifying for somebody like me who doesn't like to be touched by strangers. <laughs> or acquaintances, for that matter. <laughs> Yeah. Helen likes to live in a little bubble of I'm minimum very, contact. I'm very picky about the people I allow to touch me. <laughs> and I'm even more picky considering we're still in a pandemic and that we also have this other mini pandemic going on with the monkey pox that you can catch from skin on skin contact. Well, I don't think anybody's thinking about the monkey pox. Oh, <sighs> I'm thinking of the monkey pox. <laughs> Anyway, how have, anyway. You, how have you been otherwise? Good, yeah. I, uh, you know, it was a fairly uneventful week. I went to see the new Leonard Cohen documentary on Wednesday, which I'll be talking about on List of Lists tomorrow, and got retweeted by the the Twitter account for that particular movie when I posted about how fabulous Judy Collins still is. Oh, nice. So that was cool. How was your week? I've been watching Friday the 13th movies. You have. <laughs> thanks, to, thanks to our pal Nathan Tyree of the Bloodfest podcast. That's all you need to know about that. <laughs> yeah. And your your tattoo is healing nicely. It's still there. It's still there. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be there from now on. For the rest of your life. Right. I may have it, I may have it removed at your death and frame it so that you're, so that a piece of you is always with me. Shall we dive in, my dear? <laughs> yes, please. Give us some of that cannibalistic <laughs> Cory news. We love Maureen Lippman. We do. As Evelyn. This is news. Corey. But can't imagine her as Ruth in The Split. Although she's revealed she nearly landed it before the BBC went with Deborah Findlay instead. I can't imagine her in a drama, in a BBC drama. Can you? Yes. You can? Easily. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, we almost saw it. <laughs> but now we didn't. Because I don't think either one of us have watched the split, first of all. I didn't know it was a thing. And also, 
you know, I, I can't imagine her not being in a comedic role of some kind. Oh. So, but then again, I've only seen her in commercials and in interviews <laughs> and on Coronation Street. So I'm sure there's a big hole in my Maureen Lipman experience. That shall be filled at some point. I'm so glad you said the Maureen Lipman experience. Yeah. <laughs> Alexandra Mardell's Emma is dearly missed on the street, especially by us. So we're very excited to see her stepping into a comedic role. Speaking of comedic roles, in the upcoming ITV series, The Family Pile, next year. It's an unfortunate title for a, a show, isn't it? The Family Hemorrhoid. Yeah. <laughs> family Pile. Yeah, I'm excited to see Alexandra in in this new role it looks funny and she's a funny person i think this is this is the right step for her to move into more do you worry though that she's playing no no because the character the character you know she's not playing to type what question are you answering here you're worried is it the one that i didn't finish asking (laughs) i am not worried that she's going to be just basically playing emma again right i you know the just from like the still publicity photos of the show, just her, her pose and her poise and everything just to me evokes a different kind of character. A more confident character perhaps. Yes. Mm. So, and this is, and this is a show where she's not basically just an orphan because she, she kind of felt like an orphan on the street, didn't she? Because. No, she wasn't like all of her twisted or anything. She... No, but her mother was in Australia and for the longest time, we didn't see her dad. And then her dad, we do see her dad, but he dies. And then she finds out that Steve was her dad all along. You know, she always kind of felt like, whereas, whereas this, she's, a, she's firmly within a family dynamic. So I think, I think it will be different. And I'm excited to see it and prove myself correct. And finally, Kevin Kennedy, who played Curly Watts on the show, has come clean about his his alcoholism, stating that he used to down a bottle of vodka every day before coming to set. Can you imagine? Before? Before. Oofed. Until a seizure nearly took his life and gave him the wake-up call to get sober. So he is he is now sober, and we, we wish him all the best in his sobriety. I, I just, I can't imagine... I can't imagine doing anything after that much booze other right. than going to sleep. Right. Much less or going more. going to work and successfully acting. Right. So apparently the showrunners were aware Got and inv- to have been aware of in- involved in encouraging him to, to get sober. But it wasn't until he was being loaded into the back of an ambulance that he's like, wait, maybe, maybe I should stop doing this. Well, you know, there are... It's certain, good for him. Certain personality types that don't really go well with sitting about on a set doing nothing for a lot of the time and then you're called upon to do something for a few minutes and then you're back to sitting about doing nothing. Right. So, ugh, a bottle of vodka though. Bottle of vodka. So like with no mixers or anything, just straight vodka. Oh, straight as well? Yeah. So it's not even pleasant. No. I don't know why people no. drink vodka. Anyway. I, I know I know Russians. I've met well, Russians who, who drink vodka straight, but I've never met anybody else who drinks vodka straight. It's not exactly the most pleasant thing to drink straight. No. I've sipped it straight, but that's just because I was in a room full of Russians. So <laughs> That, again, is for another podcast. Yes. Which brings us neatly on to a podcast for coffee.
I didn't realise that I made an unintentional pun there. Brings us neatly on to neat. Yeah, because drinking vodka neat. Yeah. yeah, let's explain that. Yes. Let's do that. Let's do that. Thank you to Anonymous <laughs> for buying us our coffees this week. Woo! Yay, Anonymous! I don't know if it's always the same Anonymous. Probably because not. Because that's the point of anonymity, right? That's correct. So I am drinking my coffee, as usual, from my wonderful Talk of the Street Bannerhead mug. And you, as I'm ever. Drink, I'm drinking it from the black and white floral oversized mug that I believe I got from a box lot in an auction once and sold the others in the set and kept this one because there was a little bit of a glaze flake in the side. But it's nice. It's big. Glaze flake. It happens to the best of us. It does. If you want to buy us next week's coffees, then you can go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Yes, we will. Just like we were for Anonymous. Yes, we are. And now, this. A welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about some arachnid pied piper. A spider that's musical? When did this happen? As I was typing this, I was thinking, nay chance is the amount of chances that you have of remembering this. I barely remembered it. This was Todd pretending that he'd found a spider because he'd actually found Phelan's ashes. Right, so and he, he freaked for out. That, he pretended that he found a spider and he blamed the undertaker. And the undertaker said that he hadn't lured the spider in like some arachnid pied piper. Because that's how the undertaker talks. Yeah. <laughs> I was Gavin and you didn't think I was ready for this jelly. I don't. I still don't. <laughs> and it turns out, dear listeners, I wasn't ready for that, <laughs> for that jelly. And I mean, there's significantly less jelly here than there was. Thank you, thank you, uh, diabetes medications. Oh, that's that's what that jelly means. I thought it meant. I thought the question was. I don't. Or the statement was. I don't think you're ready for this comma jelly. No. And the jelly was. It's a line from Bootylicious. Right. Yeah, I don't think you're ready for this jelly, seeing that you're jealous of this. No, I don't think you're ready for this jelly. Oh, for this in jelly. My ass. Oh. Not that not that I've ever had a bootylicious ass in my life. I'm just not built that way. No, you're not. No. Thanks, Dad, for the jeans. Which don't And fit. also for the jeans. Me, 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 me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on my Mick Jagger impression I'm For sorry. some reason Gavin's been doing a Mick Jagger impersonation For like a week now Sometimes in public Where he does the chicken wing thing So please send help In the form of coffee <laughs> Ko-fi.com That's ko-fi.com Slash the talk of the street It was drag race season And you had bootylicious stuck in your head Right Skimadoon Sent me scurrying back to the office In a fog of Scottish twee this was a show you were watching? Oh, Schmigadoon. <laughs> I think I actually have spelt that right. I just don't know how to say it. <laughs> Schmigadoon, which is, you know, kind of based upon Brigadoon, but also oh, really? it's a musical. So, And you hate musicals. I do. So that would send you back to the office. And it was also starring, what's his name? Your, your 
your countrymen who you're not very fond of. Oh, it's that Cummings bastard, wasn't it? Yes, it was Alan Cummings. <laughs> we discovered that we both had separate Paramount Plus and Hulu accounts. I think we, I think we still, still do. do. <laughs> Ginger Minge was your girl. She was. She still is. Justice for Ginger Minge. It was the week of Sally saying the girls 33 times in 21 seconds, which I think proved to be one of our most, most popular, popular tweets. tweets yes. Maria discovers the route of Liam's tickly cough and thanks to a speculating doctor at the hospital, Kirk's work van is in for a bit of a going over with a metal bar. That was a year ago. Feeling guilty about his moment with Fizz last week, Tyrone doubles down with Alina but worries that Emma may have overheard too much. Daisy attempts Oops. to make amends by coaxing Jenny and moving on with her life and into Ronnie's bed. Michael finally comes clean with Grace about his feelings with predictable results. There's a blast from the past lurking at the back of the funeral parlour stockroom that shocks Todd to his core and may open old wounds for Eileen. With Kelly's defence funds dwindling away, a sudden windfall helps Imran pay for the expert advice that might just get his client off the hook. Abby shouts at Chesney about chips. <laughs> Gary's van isn't powered by fairy dust. And Toya's donuts are sprinkled. Our moment of the week was Todd discovering feelings ashes in front of Eileen and the Undertaker, and our boring moment of the week was Johnny just walking into the pub. <laughs> and that was Cornish Street. And the talk of the street. This time. Did we last ever year. see him walk into a pub again? Maybe. Uh so the end of August. Yeah, must have done. In fact, definitely did. Because he's usually in the back, so we don't usually see him walk in I because think, he's I already think that there. That was that he just walked in and didn't do anything. I think that's what it was. He just walked in like he'd, and again, like he was retracing his steps and he'd lost his keys or something. <laughs> He's typically already there, so we don't tend to see him walk in. Well, she chucked him out at this point, hadn't she? Oh, that's true. Because he, because of his uh, attempted armed robbery of the bistro. Was it with the bistro and robberies? It looks rich, but it isn't. Right. Nobody's going to. Nobody's going to try to rob Roy's rolls, for example. And that is a gold mine. Seriously. Maybe rob them of their pastries. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is up on Steve's roof. Oh, it's this morning. This is the first time we've recorded on a Saturday morning for yonks. He's up on the roof. Just some scenes on Monday for this. Ed and Paul turn up to work on uh, number one's roof. But Steve explains that his first guy ended up turning back up. Yeah. And he's already paid that guy. So he sacks Ed and Paul, despite Ed's renewed insistence that the guy's a crook. He's a cowboy. Later, Steve has chosen to stand outside his house to phone his builder guy friend. Ed and Paul drive by and note that fuck all has been done since they last spoke. Steve so they laugh him and laugh. And demands that the first guy shows up pronto. Later still, there's a knock at the door that Steve thinks is the first guy, but it's actually the scaffolding guy. Can't we take his scaffolding down? Steve puts him off because his roof guy is still to turn up, so the scaffolding guy scams Steve out of another 500 quid in cash to extend that higher. And at this point, I'm thinking the scaffolding guy and the roof guy are in cahoots. Are in cahoots. Yeah, they got to be, right? Because it was the roof guy that hired the scaffolding guy. Why does the roof guy not have his own scaffolding? You'd think he would have his own scaffolding. Yeah. Who hires scaffolding? If they're professional roofers. I think this is... Uh, this, Steve used to be in this the building trade. Steve had experience Nobody this. remembers that. <laughs> Least of all the writers. So I think he would know that you pay the builder and from the money that you pay the builder, the builder pays the scaffolding guy. One would assume. This is what subcontracting is, right? Right. I think. Sometimes. 
So, yeah. If you're lucky. This is what I assume is going on. Steve hasn't put two and two together yet. No, no. In the Rovers, a furious Tracy meets up with Peter. She was expecting to meet Steve, but Peter explains that Steve had sent him as his tribute, like Hunger Games. Right, yes, because Steve is terrified of Tracy. Peter explains about the 500 quid to pay the scaffolder. Again? Asks Tracy. That was pretty funny. Mm. And she calls Steve a cowardly bastard. Yes. Steve goes round to the builder's yard to speak with Ed and to beg him to fix the roof again. But Ed and Paul have already broken ground on their new job, so Steve says, Ed, you're fucked. Yep. He offers to phone round his uh, his building contact mates. Right. But Steve won't be getting any discounts or any mates rates from this. Gutted and now skint, Steve slinks away to wonder how he's going to explain any of this to his Tracy. He's not. He's going well, to he hide. he doesn't, because that's all we, we get of this right. storyline. Yes. He did the... Uh, stump his toe on the the bright yellow scaffolding. Right, right in front of Leo, mm-hmm. who just nodded wisely and went, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's what happens with that scaffolding. Is that basically all we hear from Leo this week? I uh, believe so. <laughs> yeah. He only came to work to nod knowingly and say, mm-hmm. This is how people get in the vodka, apparently. <laughs> you turn up. I don't think all these people live in Manchester, do they? No, I don't think so. probably not. Judging by... So for Cinema Club, I think Ben Price lived in London when he was when he's on the. Well, he shared a flat. With no, Coulson, he shared. He? Yeah, his family lives in London, but when he's on the show, he that shares London. a flat with Coulson. I can't imagine who does the dishes in that flat. <laughs> so Steve's lunacy with this roof thing—is it even his roof to fix? It's still Ken's, isn't it? Right, but he said he would do it. Ah, uh, that's his first mistake. Yeah, I kind of thought that Ed and Paul were going to end up. Fixing it, but it, good for this Ed. can't be the story, right? This can't be the story as Steve. There has to be something else going on. Here. This 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 feels like a story they plug in every once in a while for comic relief and to fill time. This does not feel like a major storyline. So you think the 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 crescendo at the end of the story is the roof gets fixed, or the roof falls in? Well, that's not going to happen. The roof is. The sinkhole that we only kind of remember every once in a while when it's necessary to remember it. Well, the sinkhole did obviously how how we eventually forget, provide more drama. Right, when but that happened. Fell into it. That happened like over a year after it started. So, and there were many weeks where we're like, "Do they not remember there's a sinkhole back there?" So, I need something more to come out of this roof than just the roof. There needs to be something coming out of it. We can't just have it generating two stubbed toes and that's it. And this this animosity between Ed and Steve. We've got that as well. I don't even know if it's animosity, is it? I'd be really irritated by Steve. I'm oh, surprised Ed, Ed hasn't irritated, punched him yeah. in the face. I would punch him in the face. I'm surprised Tracy hasn't punched him in the face. So what you're saying is that at some point someone's going to punch Steve, Steve in the, the face, face and that's what the story's for. Yes. Okay. And then Steve will pull him up at face and we'll all laugh and then the roof will get fixed without fanfare and we'll forget it ever happened. Well, I'm beginning to forget it already. Good. Moving on then, our next storyline this morning is www.knickerfactory.omg. <laughs> on Monday at the factory, they're still having supply chain problems thanks to the silk guy from last week that was sent on his way by Carla. The Knicker people are hoping to wrangle some overtime out of this. Carla yes. has drawn a blank so far trying to source it from somewhere else. So Sarah goes to mention Stephen again, but Carla cuts her off with a swift boot to the pie. 
Later in the pub, Carla is still trying like a bear to get silk from anywhere, but the chippy in the kebab shop supplies are very low. Sarah comes in to give Carla some bad news about the impending deadline and to mention Stephen's name again. Sarah leaves and Carla whispers to Peter that she thinks Sarah is on a commission from the Stephen fella. And it's made to look like a scam when Stephen wanders in. Carla asks if his offer is still open, which Stephen confirms it is, and available quickly, and he asks Carla to text some details and he'll be sure to get her a deal. Carla buys his drink to say thank you. It's a badly poured half pint of bitter, which I think spoke volumes. Yes. Because Stephen's a whiskey guy. Is he? And he's drinking a half pint. Are Canadians typically whiskey guys? Stephen is. Hmm. Wasn't born in Canada. No, and he doesn't live in Canada now. He lives in Italy. Mm Mm-hmm. Do Italians makes... drink whiskey? <laughs> no. Italian... They don't? I don't think so. They they're must more, do. They're more wine people, aren't they, Italians? I think that's quite stereotypical. Yes. <laughs> do they say chow a lot as they zoom by on their Vespas? Yes. Yes, they do. Yes, <laughs> they do. Glad we've established that. Yes. With all their machismo. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> Bella. Yeah. <laughs> no. In the factory... Stephen, <laughs> in the factory, Stephen, who at best is a temporary supplier of the factory, but not actually an employee of the factory, is chatting to Sarah, basically bumming her up as being businesswoman of the year, and she has to make, she has to have more confidence in herself. He suggests that she buys Carla out. There are always ways to get money, he says, and during this, he helpfully explains that Carla owns fifty percent of the factory, and Sarah and the other knicker people own the other fifty percent. So. I'm okay. glad that that's been Thank cleared up. Thank you for establishing this. Now, if you can just explain everyone who's living at Chesney's house, <laughs> that would also be fantastic. Yes, and these, Eileen's. These invisible quads that we only see, like, one at a time. We only, well, I think we got and a we faint hear. hearing of them. It was Ben Price that was doing the voice of the Right, the of course, as, as, as he's wont to do. So there's a bit of banter later between Fizz, Beth and Sarah when they tell Sarah about a time that Carla screwed over Heather Offerton in a business deal by pouring water down her knacks to make it look like Heather had wet herself. Stephen comes in with his very good offer, which he communicates to Carla by throwing his mobile phone in her face rather than saying the number out loud. But it's a good offer. Yes. It, it was 3000 and something. I mm. paused it. Of course you did. Because I, I was going to put a Mr. Osborne as a family on it, yeah. and I just couldn't be bothered. No. Privately, Carla is still furious that she'd been let down by her suppliers and she doesn't like doing nepotism deals. Sarah coughs <coughs> Johnny and tells her that she should listen to international manor business Stephen more often. Carla promises to take Sarah's advice just as soon as Sarah owns the factory and then delivers another swift boot to the pie. In the rovers, Sarah is explaining her business ideas to Stephen. These are great ideas. Well, she wants... New lines and different designs. With more cheekiness. Whatever happened to Nina being a designer at the factory? That's what I want to know. Oh, that'll... Because, because Sarah is Sarah is not a designer. We've seen the inside of her house. <laughs> so... That was a nice house. Wasn't it? I just remember... Anyway. Lying, lying naked on the sofa. Of course you do. Her uh, leather trousers in a, in a bundle at her side. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's what I remember. Anyway, you know, it's just like her her whole thing, like she's describing what she wants to do. And it's like, this doesn't sound like a brand new line. You know, this isn't, 
when, when I think of, oh, we're going to expand and do this whole new line and it's going to bring more people in, I think, oh, they're going to expand into, you know, lingerie or, or nightgowns or slips or, you know, an, another line that brings in a different aspect of ladies' undergarments that might spark interest, not, I like these pants, but I want them to be more cheeky. Especially since that's really kind of not the way women's undergarment fashion is really going at the moment. At the moment, most undergarment factories and, and lines for women are focusing more on comfort and being available in all sizes rather than using even less fabric to show off your ass because it's more along the lines of you know, women buying underwear for themselves as opposed to looking sexy for men. Mm. So, you know, this is why Victoria's Secret is, is one of the reasons why Victoria's Secret is is in bankruptcy right now is because women are kind of saying fuck off to all of that sort That's of thing. That's supposed to be a secret, you. <laughs> that and the whole, you know, attachment to Brian Epstein. But never mind. Brian Epstein? Jeffrey Epstein, yes. Not the manager for the Beatles. Apologies to his ghost. But <laughs> Too late. That's his lawyers getting involved. That's it. I'm going to be haunted by a gay British ghost from Why now fronts? on. Why fronts? That's the future of the knicker factory. Just start making right, A men's line. A men's line would be very interesting. I could I could see them doing a men's line of like sexy boxers. It's and... time for Y fronts again. <laughs> Stephen is so impressed he agrees to give her uh Stephen is so impressed he agrees to have her back in pitching the idea to Carla. And if that fails, they can always stage a hostile takeover. <laughs> I'm joking, not really joking. Businesswoman of the Year, Sarah, thinks Stephen is joking. But he's not joking. Mm. But they give each other some cheers. Yeah. Um, I don't like how dumb Sarah is in all of this. Can I just say that? Mm. How she's allowing her uncle to kind of lead her by the nose by complimenting her. I mean, that's kind of, it kind of fits her personality. Mm-hmm. To be led by the nose by flattery, but she just wants someone, anyone, to believe that she knows what she's doing and she's in the right job, right? And the first person who does that seems to be Stephen. I mean, she she and Carla had made peace before. Now they were they were sort of getting along mm. and and being able to run the factory together until Stephen showed up. On Wednesday at the Knicker Factory, Sarah just can't take her eyes off the shiny new website. She explains the fact that he's... But just the video part. We still haven't seen any of the product lines on the website no. for ease of buying. Also, do they sell directly to consumers or is it... Or do they wholesale? I thought... I was under the impression that they were wholesalers. I thought it was a business to business thing. Right. Yeah. Wholesale. So I don't understand why... I, I, and I thought I, they I were also know. just a distribution for the longest time as well. Right, but, but then they started making, making them making, again. Making the wife fronts again. <laughs> she explains the factory's management structure again and reckons that she can talk to Knicker people and it back in her idea to throw some consultancy work at least Stephen's way. Later, she's talking over designs with Stephen when Carla comes in, whose nose is put out of joint when Sarah declares that she wants to include Stephen in future business decisions. Sean and Kirk offer their backing, so Carla, who feels ambushed here, reluctantly agrees to give Stephen a voice, but no new designs as they don't have the money. Right. Yet, says Sarah, ominously. Right. There's also, 
I mean, Kirk and Sean th- th- and Beth, they throw, they throw their, they're not saying, they're, they're saying that they want more say. They're not saying we want Steven here. Mm. And yet Carla, Sarah and Steven all take it to mean we want Steven here. No, because Kirk wants to do oh, returns. <laughs> And and yeah, like like the food thing only with knickers, which I mean, don't get me wrong, there is a thriving business on eBay for used undies, but no. Just because they don't disagree with Carla, Sarah thinks that they're agreeing with her, right? And that's not that's not what is there's happening. A, there's a third and fourth opinion out there, right? Yes. And the rovers, Carla voices her concerns about Stephen to Ken and Peter. She just doesn't understand why this shyster has his eyes on getting involved in the factory. Ken points out that he's just trying to help his niece and it's good to have diverse views and Stephen has helped out in the past. He's helped out this week. Right, and also he has a penis so his opinion must be worth more than Sarah's and Carla's. Carla still doesn't understand what's at the bottom of this and at the bottom of this is Stephen's penis. Yes. Later. Peter and Ken, who don't work at the factory, turn up at the factory to tell Carla that she's been a silly, sentimental, stupid old woman. Because Ken has talked to Stephen and reckons that he's the real deal. So because quit, he has a penis. So quit your fussing, bitch, and get down on the Canadian gravy train. My hero, says Carla. <laughs> and then boots everyone in the pie. Yes. Because they at, all deserve it. Back at number eight, though, Stephen and Sarah continue their Machiavellian plotting against Carla. Shona pipes up that Sarah is staring down the barrel of a firing from Carla if she finds out. Right. Stephen ignores this and encourages Sarah to get some funding together. He'd love to help personally, but, you know. (laughs) So Sarah thinks that she could get a loan, and Shona looks on and makes a disgruntled Marge kind of noise. Hmm. Right. Yes. That's as far as we get with that this week. I would like for David and Shona to be... Marge and Homer for Halloween this year. Please, let's bring Fancy Dress back to the show and have <sighs> Shoda and David play Homer and Marge. Because Marge is taller than Homer, so it works. But are here. No, even her body is taller than Homer. No. Hey. Why are you looking this up now? How tall <laughs> is Homer Simpson? <laughs> In feet. Homer stands at five foot nine. Uh huh. And what does Marge stand at? With her hair, she's eight foot six. Right. But without her hair, she's five foot four or five foot eight. She's smaller than Homer. She's five foot four or five foot eight. Between it says. So I, I think my my thoughts from last week were we were kind of getting. It wasn't so much Carla being the hard ass, but mm-hmm. they were they were sowing seeds of dissent between Carla and Sarah and the other members of the Knicker Factory, apart from Summer. Which we've seen this storyline play out before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's still fresh in our memories, Sarah and Carla butting heads, because of course women can't work well together. No. The only reason why Leanne and Debbie work well together is because Nick's penis stands between them. Majestically. (laughs) Majestically. There's a statue of of uh, Nick's majestic penis <laughs> erected in the bistro. That if there has to be a conversation between Debbie and Leanne, they have to do it on on opposing sides of the of penis. Of the penis, yes. Mm. 
And then the penis casts a final judgment. <laughs> right, yes. And a booming voice. Not like a Mick Jagger voice. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't do that. <laughs> Is this whole penis thing just an excuse to do your Mick Jagger impersonation it, it, again? It became it about halfway <laughs> through that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. So, but... Only now, Stephen's involved in this one, and that's because Stephen has no money, and he's trying to con money out of Sarah using flattery. It's, I am. I will be curious to see this silk. Oh, right. And when it shows up. Yeah, because there can only be so many silk suppliers in the UK. Right. And he had a number for one that Carla, despite being in the UK knicker business, didn't have that number. Right. Or, it's or, very curious. Or is it an Italian one that somehow can miraculously ship to the UK that quickly? It was that Dave's is how it was going to arrive. And I don't think after Brexit that can happen. No. I don't think so. No. Especially with, with the just shortages throughout mm. the world, you know, of 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 stuff mm. of lots of different stuff and i can't i can't imagine silkworms are doing well thanks to climate change it's, it's not a good time for silkworms no is yeah. it ever do you think stephen came back at all for audrey or did they come back <sighs> and then notice that this opportunity well yes he came there? back for audrey he came back for audrey's money Oh, yes, 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 he did. Because remember, he was very quick to try and get to sign something last right, week. Yes, and that which, didn't happen. Yeah. So now now that that's not happening, right. is, that, is this what's generated this interest in the, or the he's factor just, a bit more? he's just trying everything he possibly can because he's a sneaky bastard. Right. Canadian. Those damn from Canadians. Ohio. Those damn Canadians and their sneakiness. Those damn Ohioans masquerading as Canadians. Oh, they'll say A to you and offer you some poutine. Right. But when they're doing that, they're stealing the money out of your back pocket. Right. And and secretly drinking Schlitz. Which I think is from Ohio. I can't I can't think of anything. It feels like it. Is. It feels like Schlitz should be from Ohio. Mm. Rolling Rock is Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's close. Yes. Yeah. You got nipped over the border. I do like I do like Rolling Rock. I was a student beer. Moving on to our next storyline this morning, it's Employee of the Month. On Monday, it's Monday, and Summer has remembered that she has a job at the factory. Oh, that's right. After having a job for a week before taking a week off to go to Barcelona, she's back now to say that she's back at work and then to ask for the afternoon off so she can attend a hospital appointment. Carla can't remember hiring her, thinks she's just wandered in off the street like Stephen from another storyline, so doesn't give a shit. Summer picks up a sample of fabrics and promptly starts bleeding all over them. Fun. She's been at work for five minutes, so takes a break to go see Aaron. Billy happens along on the phone. Apparently, well, no, she's on the she's on the uh, rolls run, and just ha- stops by because it's right there. Apparently, 100- which is something that Fizz does all the time as well. Apparently, a hundred chickens harnesses have been delivered to the church, so he has to go and sort that out. Which is fine because Aaron has agreed to go with Summer to her appointment because she's a child and she can't go on her own. Aaron doesn't look too happy about this though. Back at the factory, Summer's leaving early to go get a decent lunch. No one cares because no one else is working and Beth advises her to milk her illness for all it's worth. I thought that's what I was doing, says Summer. At the appointment, the nurse says everything is looking fine. Aaron looks uncomfortable, so maybe these are the fake readings that we had last week? Remember, she had her two right. things. I couldn't work out why she had her two things. Right, yeah. How is she... 
I, I'm I'm not sure how this is supposed to work because where, what is she, who is she using this the fake one on, uh, or is she being good for one week and then holding on to those results? I I honestly don't know what's going on. No, you should know you're diabetic. Yeah, I don't have to test my blood though. Hmm. I'm not as diabetic, and I think she has type one, and I have type two. No, she has type two. I thought she was a late diagnosed type one. Oh, I thought she was type two. Yeah. I don't know the difference. Right. Summer explains about bleeding all over the factory earlier, and the nurse suggests a flash monitor, but Summer turns it down flat. The nurse asks why, and Aaron pipes up that it might be useful. Summer tells them both to mind their own fucking business. Right. It's her body. She wants to be in, in control of of her testing, and it's like you'd still be in control because it's still your body. It's just Billy would know. Right. It's just that it would happen automatically so you couldn't lie. The nurse smiles at Aaron as if to say, you dodged a fucking Barcelona bullet there, pal. Rather than going back to work, Summer goes home with Aaron and she gives Billy the good news. Billy asks about the flash monitor thing, but Summer lies and says that she doesn't qualify for it. Summer goes off to phone Carla to let her know that she'll be late in tomorrow. So Aaron takes a chance to advise Billy to mention to the hospital about the monitor thing because right. he didn't think Summer understood what it was. Billy winks. Gotcha, he says. Yes. So Wednesday, Billy and Summer are on their way to Gemma and Paul's birthday in another storyline. Billy announces how happy he is that she's found Aaron, who seems a top bloke, and Summer seems suspicious that a vicar would have something nice to say about someone. <laughs> During the birthday meal, Summer is struggling to eat some cake when she feels Aaron's eyes bore into her, so she forces some down her neck. Well, well, he promises he wasn't keeping tabs enough, which later, he was. Later, they say that it was cake. But it looked like a roll. It looked like bread. I thought it was bread as well. Especially yeah. since the cake is a chocolate cake, which we see later. Oh, I like a chocolate cake. And that did not look like chocolate cake it that did. she pinched off. Because you can't really pinch off a bit of cake because it's crumbly. It has a nice crumble to it. Oh, keep talking about cake. <laughs> <laughs> Summer goes off for a shite, which allows Billy to thank Aaron again for the tip about speaking to the nurse about the monitor thing. But just the tip. Thanks for the tip, Aaron. <clears throat> Turns out she's on holiday, the woman from the hospital thing. Picked up a cheap weekend to Barcelona, but we'll be in... Let's <laughs> see what I've done there in the notes yes. that I've forgotten about. Right. But we'll be in touch on her return. And I think I should have hit this, should I? Does it count if you're just going on an appointment? It doesn't count because they were sitting in an office with a computer. Nobody was in a bed. Yeah, scratch that. Uh, you're just so keen to have another hospital scene. It, it raised that from the record. Everyone pretend that you didn't hear it. Just like Gav's Mick Jagger impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's getting better. Back at the flat, Aaron apologises for keeping his watchful eye on her, saying that he's turning into Billy, and he quickly removes his Webster's Auto's dog collar and hides it behind his back. She forgives him, and then mentions how guilty she feels about the whole Barcelona thing that ended up going to that bitch at the hospital. So remembering again that she has a job, Summer, who does work at the factory, goes into the factory to ask for an advance on her wage, and Carla agrees on the proviso that she keeps it to herself, otherwise she'll have Beth camping outside her office day and night until she gets one too. Yeah. Beth has already said that Summer's diabetes is unfair, so. <laughs> it's unfair she has diabetes and has to go to medical appointments. 
On Friday, Anina's role summer has a surprise for Aaron. She's booked him a romantic night away at the Rape Hotel to uh-huh. celebrate her 18th birthday tomorrow, Yay. which no one has mentioned up to now. No, because everybody's far more interested in Gemma and Paul's birthday. Is breakfast included, asks Aaron. Everything's included, says Summer, seductively. Right, yeah. She's like, I'm breakfast. <laughs> That's exactly how she said it. Her I'm voice sorry. broke a couple of times as she was saying that. <laughs> I'm breakfast. I've been watching this Inventing Anna thing on, on the Netflix because for some reason it's nominated for an Emmy. And at one point... A character does say to another character they're making out with in front of their home, you know, the, the, the guy wants to stay over. So he says, I'll make you breakfast in the morning. And then the woman says, I'll be breakfast in the morning. Summer and Aaron get a lovely room at the Rape Hotel. He's checking on messages from his dad and to avoid having sex, they agree to go down to the bar. Later, back from the bar and in the room, Summer calls this whole thing weird. Good weird. Aaron worries that she's not ready, but she insists that she is, but they decide to get room service first. Right, and talk about what the different parts of the of the dishes are. Yeah, the name for, for the big server. for the big silver dome that goes over the top of your room service, which you do get. Right. In some hotels anyway. Yes, and also in hospitals. Oh, do I hit my No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So Aaron's fear of the beard? Or there's something else going on here? I think he's far too worried about his dad barging in and beating the crap out of him. <laughs> Which would happen at the rape hotel, let's and, face it. And, and, you know, she's a she's a PK, so sex is always going to be awkward she's for her. She's a PK? Yeah, preacher's kid. Oh. Or technically a VK, a vicar's kid. Oh, I don't know if he's even thinking about that. She. Summer. No, I think I don't think Aaron's thinking about the fact that she's a. No, no, she is. That's oh, why it's awkward th- for her, oh, and right. he's awkward because of his dad. And also, I think he's a little, still a little leery about being in a relationship with this crazy girl. <laughs> right. You know, and if they do the deed, then th- yeah. that that erases his escape plan, which I'm sure he has. See, it sounded, it sounded for a moment like he was doing the good the decent thing here but the way that you've said it makes it sound like it, it isn't the decent thing because the I don't know. escape plan also, doesn't sound positive also we already had we already had teenagers losing their virginity to one another this week so mm-hmm. we can't have two teenage couples losing their virginity in one week you gotta spread them out oh. <laughs> it helps but not like that oh okay it still helps they're teenagers how do you feel about Summer and Aaron as a couple? I think it's 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 the same problem that I have with the Summer storylines. Anyway, it just it keeps going around in circles and it never gets better. And I, nothing ever really changes. It's, they're on again, off again, and he's worried about her because he knows that she's being dodgy about her diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, and... So he tries to do something and eventually he's going to apologize for sticking his neck in with Billy. Well, that's obviously going to come out. You don't tell Billy and then someone right. doesn't find out that that's happened. So, Daniel Brocklebank this week said, said in an interview that he doesn't think Billy is aware 
of how serious the whole summer thing is. Really? How many times does she have to pass out before Billy takes this seriously? He's been taking the Uber seriously. He's been, he said to her that he was going to be in charge of her food and he was going to be in charge and of her. And then he did it. But then he didn't. <laughs> but, he know, but that means that he knows. One would think. He, he, he has no uh, plausible deniability here because he's, he's said to her that this is important. You've got your exams. You keep on passing out. You obviously can't cope with both. So to take some of the pressure off of you, I'm going to take care of this. Right. And I'm going to look after this aspect of it. And you then, would, he, and then would, he never did it. Right. Yeah. And you would think uh, a parent like who says these things would be like, yeah, no, you obviously have too much on your plate. We're going to get you the the thing that tells you automatically about your your sugars to relieve you of some of that pressure and i'm not going to hear one word against it because i'm actually going to be a parent unlike all of the other people on the street and sometimes when my kid says no i say wrong answer because your health is more important than your autonomy which occasionally happens in real life Mm. You can't you can't just take no for an answer from your kids all the time, parents on Coronation Street. Right. That's how they end up drug addicts or losing their virginity or getting pregnant or passing out constantly. So good for drama then. Or or bleaching their skin or getting beaten to death. <laughs> what? Seb. Yeah, no, but I'm not sure how that was from him. From Abby saying no to him. I don't know. Or not I'm just, no to him. I'm just thinking of all of the things that have happened to kids <clears throat> on the street that shouldn't have happened. I'd actually think that Aaron and Summer are, are probably quite good together if it wasn't for all this Everything baggage else. that they both bring to this obviously relationship. doomed relationship. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If they weren't both diabetics with with body dysmorphia and also Aaron's dad wasn't an abusive alcoholic that has kind of gaslit him into thinking that it's okay to get beat every once in a while because he's sad. Yeah. They they, they throw so much things at it to make Mm -hmm. it not work. Right. I quite like the fact that he's like three feet taller than her. I think... I think it. I think it works. That's from that. hilarious. The way that she looks up at him, right? Is, yeah. Um, it's like Shoda and David in reverse. It's kind of amusing. Yes. But it's 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 lovely, kinda right. But the fact that sure. he, that he's an asshole to her every every second scene or every third scene, I can't remember which. Which is realistic for a teenage boy in his first relationship. I don't know how old he is because we know that she's he's turning like, eighteen. But is he eighteen or I is he twenty or is th- he nineteen or how old is he? I we think don't know. he's eighteen. I don't think we know. I think he's eighteen. I don't think we know. So I think you just you're just guessing. But I don't think we know. So, but I, he's older than her. Didn't he have Definitely. a birthday recently as well? Maybe. Uh, it just yeah. The storyline it, it takes so much just to sort of pay attention to it. That I, I think it could work if they were given a chance. They're not being given a chance because there is a million things that they've got to sort out right. before they're ready to have a relationship together. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Moving on to our next storyline this morning is Tim's mum about the house. Yay! No, actually, boo. Because she and Tim are very mean to Yasmin this week. Yeah, I think Tim's mum has always had the potential to be like this. I think she's shown signs I of it. I think Tim was way more harsh than Tim's mum oh, well, we'll to Yasmin, to but we'll, we'll get, get to it. it. 
On Monday, Yasmin is about to head out after a restless night and is disgusted to learn that Ali and Zidane are picking up homeless Jews case files. Zidane tries to explain that they're doing it for her and they have nothing to lose because if he's guilty, well, then they know that he's guilty. But if he's not guilty, then she hasn't made a terrible mistake and uh, an error in judgment. Correct. At the law office, everything has been delivered. There's police files, there's tapes, there's paella recipes. Z and Alia start working their way through the boxes, and Alia finds a description of how Charlie was killed. She thinks maybe they need to get an expert to go through this after all, but then Z finds the tapes. And they listen to one where Homeless Stew matter-of-factly admits to killing Charlie. Alia thinks this is damning, despite Homeless Stew quite clearly explaining that he gave a false confession, so this should not be news to them. Right, yeah. I but think it's, it's the manner in which he delivered it. Right, because he's very kind of monotone and stuff, which should raise alarm bells for them. Yeah. He sounds like a man who's been forced to eat crusts. Yes. and With no mayonnaise. And whose chair has been pulled away from him every time he's tried to sit down. Right. Mm. And comes Adam to see how they're doing, and he instantly spots that Homeless Stew was interviewed for 10 hours straight. Which is illegal. Z doesn't understand why this is a problem, so Adam has to explain. <laughs> then he notices a tape is missing. If the master is also missing, you crazy kids might actually be onto something, says Adam. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Adam. So the gang and Scoob go back to see an angry Yasmin who was nonplussed by 10-hour interviews and missing tapes. So Alia asks her to go with her to speak to Homeless Stu later about it. And then, uh, and then she can make up her mind about whether he's worth helping or not. She has a six-pack of visit orders just itching to be used. But Alia eventually goes on her own and she tells Homeless Stu about the tapes. Tape 12, he's claiming he's innocent. Tape 13 is missing. Tape 14 is his confession. And this sets Stu off on more crusty reveries about bursting for a shite and then falling asleep and the cops pushing him over. And then Yasmin comes in. Alia leaves him to it. Yasmin wants to know what he did to poor Charlie, given that she was drenched in his DNA. God. Which again, you know, Ugh. thirty years ago. Hold on, babe. Thirty years, thirty years ago. Who's testing for DNA? Thirty years ago, at getting successful in the, in results. Nineties. It's early nineties. Yeah, we're not talking about the sixties here. This is no, like the nineties. I mean. DNA testing wasn't didn't really get started until 86, so by the early 90s, it's not exactly a, a perfected science. It still exists, though. Right, but barely. And also, how, how could even... Nobody has that much semen to cover a whole human body. I don't think, it's, I don't think it was literally drenched. Well, she was literally drenched well, it in says, DNA. Well, it says that, you know, her D- his DNA was all over her body. That would imply it spreading all over her body. And, uh, you know, I mean, I did read Stephen King's The Outsider, so I know that supernatural creatures can have that much semen, but not human people. Well, maybe a homeless juice just packing a lot. Who knows? Maybe he's a supernatural monster. I would explain his hair it and would. those baby blue eyes. Right. And his perfect teeth. Homeless Stu describes his affair and lots of sex, which seems to turn Yasmin on a bit. The truth will set you free, she says. Yasmin promises to stand by Homeless Stu if he tells her the truth and confesses his guilt, but he refuses to take the blame again, so she leaves. But as she does, he shouts on her to speak to his old lawyer, mm-hmm. one Norman Hepworth. And this, I just... Why is he called Norman Hepworth? Why not? And why... 
and why homeless Stu shouting the name homeless <laughs> Norman Hepworth to Yasmin? Why does it sound so weird? I don't know. It just sounds. It's weird. only weird to you, but you do make Jagger just like someone standing up. Yeah, somebody standing up shouting Norman Hepworth in the middle of our room. It just it, maybe it should happen more often. Maybe. Anyway, it brings us on to this week's hard debate. How much would you pay to never hear how homeless Jews' DNA was found all over Charlie's body again? Would you pay £0 to £5? £6 to £10? £11 to £999,999? Or over £1 million? I think it was over £1 million for me. And the voting was thus. £6 to £10, 8.9%. £11 to £999,999, 15.6%. 0 to £5, 17.8%. Some people. Mm. And over £1 million was 57.8% of the vote. A resounding. The nation has spoken. That's how much they would spend to never hear how Charlie's body was covered from head to toe in homeless Jews' DNA. Back at Speed Dial. Yasmin mentions the old lawyer to the gang in Scoob, but Yasmin doesn't want to be lied to by another man and doubts that this Norman Hepworth is still a lawyer or even alive. But she's mid-sentence and Zidane has already looked him up and found him. He's literally round the corner. Literally. So back home, Norman Hepworth takes his seat in Yasmin's front room and explains his relationship with Homeless Shoe, calling him the one that got away who was done by one of those dodgy false confessions that were so popular in the 80s. He also tells them that Lennox was rotten to the core, planting evidence and forcing confessions. Yasmin, who apparently hasn't been paying attention, asks if he thinks Homeless Stew is innocent. Norman Hepworth has no doubt. Later, Yasmin is still confused. Zidane gets a call from PC Tinker letting him know that Homeless Stew will be out and back on the streets tomorrow. Anya lets Yasmin... Again! Well done, PC Taker, for not following police protocol and being a crooked copper. It was when he phones and uh, Zidane says, that was Craig. And Yasmin goes, oh, what did he want? (laughs) More people do that than I think we know about. So, uh, yeah, Alia tells Yasmin that all those panic attacks she's been having and sleepless nights, they come from knowing deep down that Homeless Stew, while a bit of a shagger in his day, is innocent. Right. On Wednesday, Yasmin's sleeping on the couch for some reason when she has a waking nightmare about Homeless Stew and Tim's dad. Tim's dad makes a reappearance. Ah! Yes, apparently, apparently his reappearance had viewers terif- screaming in terror on Just their like me, couches. Right there. Did you scream in terror while you were watching that episode? I did get a little, a little fright. Really? I'd been watching Friday the 13th, so it was a. Well, there is I, I that. Very, my nerves were very jangly at that point. Right, yeah. I mean, how many times does Yasmin have to have a dream about Tim's dad before it, it, it just becomes like, do we really have to do this again? Sudan wakes her and tells her she's having a bad dream, but then he pulls his face off and he's actually Tim's mum. Oh no! <laughs> the Navy has really taken the wind out of Yasmin's sails. Homeless Stew is out today and will likely end up homeless, homeless Stew again. And she can't work out what she wants to do about it, or anything else for that matter. Her mind is fucked. Later, Alia's going through the case notes at the law office and hasn't found any evidence of any blood being found on Homeless Stew or in his car. Adam thinks she might be onto something, impressed at her dedication to clear Homeless Stew's name. It's not just him she's doing this for, she says. 
Correct. At work, Yasmin's like a half-shut knife, and while talking to Roy, ends up dropping a tray of glasses when she thinks of him and his pink penny again. Right. He helps her clean up the mess, and they talk about what's going on with her. And she says she's haunted by Tim's dad. Roy can understand. Yasmin thinks that homeless Stu is likely innocent, but he confessed, which makes her weary. He explains that... Weary? Or leery? Weary, I think is what I meant to say. Ah. He explains, but thank you for drawing attention to that. <laughs> sure. He explains that Alia and Zidane are convinced of his innocence. She's not sure what their motive is. Roy thinks that she's their motive, and they want to prove that she didn't make a, bra- a bad choice by letting Homeless Stew back in their life. Talked round by Roy, Yasmin goes to the jail and picks up Homeless Stew and his wee plastic bag. They go back to the community garden, and she promises to do Where's it. Where's his guitar? She promises to do everything she can to help him put his life back together, but there'll be no getting your hole for the foreseeable. No. She believes him now. He's got a place at a hostel for the time being, which may be for the best. And they go to speed dial and are welcomed back into the bosom of the Kirk or the Pakistani street restaurant. Alia brings them up to speed with her investigations and they have a cold case solicitor lined up to help. Yasmin says that for reasons best known to herself, she needs Homeless Stew to tell his daughter that he's challenging his conviction and he has to hear it from him she has to hear it from him yes yeah. I'm not sure why this has to be a thing but anyway it's a thing so Homeless Shoe goes back to the nice house and this time he rings the bell and the door is answered by a little girl who is quickly ushered away by Bridget Homeless Shoe realises that this is his granddaughter and Bridget shuts the door on him again he sits on the curb outside and so she comes out to hear what he's got to say he says he never killed no one and he's challenging his conviction and she seems surprised by this we learn that the little girl is called Eliza Homeless Stu doesn't want her to grow up thinking that her homeless pops is a monster. So which which she didn't because she doesn't even know that he, he exists. Bridget looks like she's beginning to melt on this when Mrs. Homeless Stu arrives, ready to read him the riot act. He tells his missus that Bridget has a right to make up her own mind on him and he has a right to see his grandkid. Mrs. Homeless Stu agrees not to stand in the way of that, providing he drops his protest against his conviction. Which not, is suspicious. And not put them through another trial again. Yeah, that's suspicious. Her saying, no, you need to drop all this. If you, if you want a relationship with her, then you need to drop all this. Well, if that's all that it took, then why didn't you let him have a relationship with her to begin with? Right? I don't know. You said that too quickly. <laughs> I think, uh, well, Mrs. Homeless Stew was my first guess. Mm-hmm. Revenge. Right. But uh, I still think it's Lennox. Maybe it was Lennox and Mrs. Homeless Stew. Well, it could be. Maybe they were in cahoots. Maybe, maybe that's who she, the Lennox was having the affair with was Mrs. Homeless Stew. Oh, what a tangled web! Mm. Homeless Stew goes back to the street and tells Alia Zidane, Yasmin, and Adam. He sounds like he's going to clear his name for uh, for Eliza, and then Dev and Bernie wander over from another storyline and get all nimby on Homeless Stew's ass, outraged that they'll have a murderer on their doorstep and demanding that he moves on. Tracy. Yasmin takes on for this tells Homeless Stu to get his things. He's moving back in just to basically piss off Dev. Right. And why not? On Friday, Kelly's out for a jog when she bumps into a repentant Homeless Stu who only wants to talk about himself. He wears Kelly down and she comes round telling him that she knows that he's not a killer. She knows what it's like and tells him to get on with his life. At home, Alia's worried about Homeless Stu who's gone a-wandering and just at that, he comes in grateful for the support that everyone in the house has given him and he offers to cook them dinner by a way of thank you. 
Stu and Kelly are chatting more friendly-like when Dev, Tim and Tim's mum descend to throw rotten vegetables at homeless Stu. Dev even demanding that Stu leaves town, just like that Spark song. Stu and Kelly protest their innocence. He's going nowhere, and Tim's mum has a fit and runs off to grasp this up to Yasmin. She's very much the, won't anyone think of the children and all this. Right, yeah. Oh, throwing her arms up in the air and running off to find Yasmin to tell Yasmin. Right, yeah, that, that Yasmin's being dumb for letting him back in the house. Right. Tim's mum and Tim descend on Speed Dollar to shout at Yasmin for being an idiot, but Yasmin insists that it was a miscarriage of justice and they're going to prove that homeless Stu is innocent. And if you don't like it, Tim's mum, you can suck on my big old hairy balls, says Yasmin. Well done, Yasmin. Homeless Stu's in a great mood as he cooks dinner for everyone. He goes to answer the door and signs for a package for Bernie that's been delivered wrongly for some reason. Right. He hands it to her and she, Dev, Tim and Tim's mum descend again to shout at him. (laughs) Yasmin tells everyone to fuck off. Right. She's like, how dare you sign for my package and then immediately hand it to me. We never know what that package holds either. It could be the head of uh, this Charlie character for all we know. No, it's... Yeah, it's Bernie saying... Oh, just because you signed a package for me, do you mean that, that I should forgive you? What? No. No. Just take your fucking package. Inside, Yasmin has taken the views of her neighbours quite hard, but she thinks of Roy and his pink penny and starts to feel better. She decides to cancel a trip with Cathy that no one knew about, but Homeless Shoe asks her not to, as he would feel bad. She says he couldn't stop her or make her if, if he tried, so I'm not sure how that was left. Is Yasmin going on this trip or not? Who knows? Who cares? And that's as far as we get And with does that. that mean that we get a brief glimpse of Kathy? No, she's gone. Probably not. They were going to... Was it... Were they going to Scotland? I think they might have been going to Scotland. That's where everybody goes, isn't it? Scotland? For a wee trip? Sure. Or, or Barcelona. I know that they have to do this because it's, it's a show and it's fictional and... And everyone's motives and beliefs can kind of change on the on the changing of the wind. But everyone's hypocrisy here to homeless Stu is just it's ridiculous. It's so obviously ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And he's not he like I said last week, he's not wrong in how this happens every single time someone is accused of something on the street. Because let's all remember all these people thought Yasmin genuinely killed Tim's dad for the longest time and that she was a crazy alcoholic person. Well, do you know out of all of them, Tim thought that. Right. Tim. Right. So for him to be like saying to Yasmin, I can't believe you're being this naive and dumb and believing a man again. It's just shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah, it, it's just... It's ridiculous how hypocritical these people are. Mm-hmm. But the sight all the time, the sight of Tim's mum ru- literally running away right. to track Yasmin down, right, and to tell her how dumb she is. <sighs> she needs to go back to wherever she was because she's not living anywhere near them. I don't think is she? Oh, she has to be some. I think. I guess, I I think guess a little near. She's working. She's working in the kebab shop again. Was she? Tim's mum? Yeah, I think so. When was she ever working in the kebab shop? She was working there for a while to help Yasmin out. And remember, she owns part of it. Or she used to own part of it, and then she signed it back over. The kebab shop? Not the kebab shop. Speed doll. Because we never saw Tim's <laughs> mum in one of those 
cyan uniforms with Tim's mum embroidered on the back of it. More's a pity. <laughs> it seems, though, that there was only really... The, the whole point of Holmes Shoe going to tell his daughter right. is to see that he's got a granddaughter. Right. There is no motivation for Yasmin saying to Holmes Shoe, this is what you've got to do. Because they've already disowned them. So why, why well, would him... I think I think she's really invested... Because remember, she's the one who tracked her down to begin with. I think she's really invested in Homeless Stu having a relationship with his daughter. Like, she's obsessed with it. So this is, I think, her way of still trying to do that. Alia seems to have her investigative boots on, coming up with theories about about the blood, which I noticed that she called her blood theory later. Yes, she did. quite funny. Alia's got a theory. About Adam Adam has been very accommodating with us. and and Letting them use uh, Imran's death. Right. And encouraging them. Right. And occasionally helping them out randomly, even though he insisted he wouldn't do that. If I didn't know any better, I would have said that Adam was trying it on a little bit with Alia. But hey. No. Moving on to our next storyline this morning is Bernie's evil twin on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) This was funny. There's a lot of stuff that was funny this week. This was funny, though. On Wednesday, Evelyn's at Dev's blackmailing him as best she can to get triple time out of him for covering while he goes to an accountant's meeting or something. And meanwhile, it's Paul and Gemma's birthday party at the Bistro in another storyline. But Bernie... Oh, no, it's in this storyline. But Bernie is in Dev's looking to get some extra hours at him uh, from the corner shop. And he's all like, no can do, sweet cheeks, because he's already, already drawn up the rota. Dejected, Bernie leaves and Evelyn scorns Dev for not being more flexible and offering to see what he could do. And Dev sucks a thoughtful tooth. Because Evelyn's like, you could at least have pretended to look right. at the water. Yeah, you could have been at least nice. And it's it's very harsh for Evelyn, of all people, to tell someone you could have been nicer You've about been too that. harsh, yeah. Yeah. At the party, Gemma is licking her plate clean. Literally. Yes, she is. Chesney does his best to bring down the party mood by breathing and looking at people. <laughs> Bernie finally arrives and Gemma has hidden some birthday sausages down her tits for some reason. Bernie's gifts to Paul and Gemma are coupons for a free kebab, which Chesney is sure are counterfeit. The party and Chesney head to the rovers, leaving Gemma <laughs> behind with Bernie to ask if her mom is having money problems, thinking that she was late so she didn't have to buy the full meal. Bernie denies it. Gemma tells her not to worry about buying Joseph's new uniform, but Bernie is determined. And I don't know, had we heard that this was something that she was doing? Uh, this feels like it just came out of the blue, but it's a thing that she's I, I determined seem, to buy this I seem, uniform. I seem to recall last time we had Joseph and his amazing Technicolor falling school apart uniform, yeah. school sweater, um, her saying that she was going to buy his next school uniform. Because Granny Linda sent the money. Right. But she's like, fuck Granny Linda, I'm buying this. Right. Like, well, she and Granny Linda have this agreement that they're both going to help out. Right. I still don't understand why Bernie is skint, though, because she has two jobs and she lives with two other people who have two jobs each. It's just a perpetual poverty misery of right. the quad house. Right, yes. In the rovers, Billy is so pished he's coming on to Paul. Bernie comes in from doing a shite and asks Daisy if they have any cleaning jobs going. Daisy knocks her back, but Dev's ears prick up. He asks Bernie for a private word as he has a little something for her, which she interprets as a request for his hole, so she scuds his jaw. My mum's not a prostitute, shouts Gemma. 
What'd you do that for, says Dave, announcing that he was going to offer her a cleaning job. Bernie laughs up the faux pas, relieved that she'll be bringing even more money in now. That will just disappear mysteriously right. into the ether because they can't even afford hot dogs in that house. On Friday at the Quad House, oh. Joseph is running late for his sign language lessons. Chesney has learned two thumbs up so far. <laughs> well done, Chesney. Bernie confirms to everyone that she's still on track to get Joseph's new uniform. And what with this new high-powered job of cleaning up Kirk's shits and the Rovers, hopefully the bog, it should be sooner rather than later. Well, no, because she's not working in the Rovers. Oh, no, it's cleaning Dev's. the bathroom. She's working it's, for Dev. Dev's. He's cleaning why's, Dev's house. So why is Kirk doing a shit in Dev's? Nope. That doesn't work anymore. No, so why did you write it? Bernie comes back from the town with Joseph's school gear and some stuff for herself. She's got herself a fancy blue blazer. Which is ugly. That's so as awful. Sin. <laughs> it looks like she's a game show host. The 1980s movie Working Girl called... No, no. Say it properly. The 1980s movie Working Girl called... Bernie, they'd like their costuming back, please. She claimed she was given it by a mysterious assistant who said there was nothing to pay and apologised for the confusion. And Bernie claims that she said that she thinks that they mistake her for someone else. Right, yeah. Point. She's like, no, I think you've got me mistaken for someone else. And that the store clerk said, no, 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 this is for you. So you nicked it then, says Gemma. Bernie says it was an honest mistake and it's a gift from the universe or something. When she has a house herself, Bernie tries on the blazer, which makes her speak in a posh accent. Oh, and then they automatically accuse her of stealing the uniform as well. Right. And it's like, you people are so mean to this woman. But no one's outraged. They're all kind of just resigned. Oh, yeah, she stole it. No, well. Right. Although Chesney says, well, you you need to take it back. Right, yeah. Chesney's outraged, but Chesney is always outraged. Right. There's a knock at the door and it's a woman who doesn't look unlike Bernie calling her a thief. This seems to be the woman who was supposed to get the blazer. Bernie goes to throw her out when they realise how alike the two of them look. The woman found Bernie because Bernie left her purse in the store because of course she did or something. Right, yeah, Uh, because she was in a hurry to leave. She demands the blazer, which Bernie reluctantly gives back, calling the woman a slag or something probably. But there's something else that happens with the purse that I think I missed. I'm glad they address how on earth did you find me? Even though the reason is unbelievable. That she left her purse behind. It's not unbelievable that she left her purse behind. Although that's not her purse, it's just her wallet. She left her wallet behind. But so many times things like this happen and they don't address it. So even if the reason is kind of weird, at least they address it. But then she looks at... Well, I'm calling it a purse. That's what she looks at and she she seems... It seems like it's not hers. No, no, it is hers. When the woman leaves, she's checking it to make sure that the woman didn't steal anything oh, from her. Oh, okay. Yes, because that's exactly what Bernie would have done. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah. Gemma, Joseph and Chesney come back and Bernie explains what happened. Joseph thinks it's her doppelganger. And then it seems that the woman has gone off with Joseph's blazer as well as the... Right, as I noticed her taking both bags. You did? Yeah. I didn't. Joseph now thinks it's her evil twin. But now Ches and Gemma think Bernie stole the stuff and simply returned them, and now she's lying about it. Right. Joseph believes her, because, but he's 10. But Because that's what adult women do. Right. In the Rovers, Bernie's complaining to Dev about Gemma and Ches, thinking that she's a tea leaf. Dev thinks it's something that she would do, but wonders if it's too weird a situation, even for Bernie. Right, and he says, he's he's careful to say, would have done, not that it's something that you would do now, because right. you're a better person, because I shagged you. Right. Back 
Back at the quad house, Gemma and Chez have got the three-year-old babies down to sleep. Bernie promises to get the uniform tomorrow and is shot when they still don't believe her or the evil twin story. Joseph tries to blame the evil twin on why he hasn't done his homework and this ends up with them all waking up the quads. And laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious how they treat those quads as if they're all still babies. Right. When we can see them not being babies because Gemma brings one of them out at one point. The uh, the one with the, with the hearing loss. Allard? Allard. Allard? Allard. Allard, yes. It seems that... And she mentions Cleo, I think, Yes, as well. they mention Cleo a lot, and she brings out Allard a lot, and nobody remembers the name of the other two. Ah. Uh, Frankie and... Josephine. <laughs> um, Keith. <laughs> All famously Welsh names. <laughs> Particularly Frankie. Frankie. And Josephine. I'm enjoying this. The woman who plays uh, the—I don't think she's been named yet. Right. The the thief. No, right. not the thief, because no one's a thief here. No. The woman who's well, blazer, she's now a thief because she stole Joseph's uniform. Right. Which I think we'll find out was a mistake. Well, of sure. course, but she still took it. She played Bob in Blackadder, and she also played uh, Natalie Horrocks sister Debs in Coronation Street 20 years ago. Right. So when there was announced... there are only a limited amount of actors in the UK. When it was announced that she was coming back, everyone thought, well, why is Natalie Horrocks... Why is her sister coming back? There's no reason for her sister to come back. But then it transpired that she's playing a completely different character. Right. She's changed somewhat, but you can still see the 20 20 years ago version of herself Mm -hmm. in her face. Yes. But she does. She's the same height as as Bernie, right? And they have kind of the same same sort hair of facial color, structure, same nose. And I don't know if if the fact is that they just look alike, or are they actually related to each other? Right? Are they are they secretly twins, or actually they would be secretly triplets? Triplets, because Bernie mentions her her twin brother Mike. Mike, yeah, Mike Winters. Bernie and Mike Winters. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how they're how they're playing it, but the fact the fact that she's back in it in whichever capacity, I'm enjoying, and I'm enjoying the fact that Bernie seemingly has concocted. I mean, we know that she's telling the truth, but if we didn't, this is something that Bernie would concoct. This I don't think it is this ridiculous story of evil twins. Yeah, I, I think I she probably would. I don't think she would. I like Joseph in all of this. That's my he favorite is part. Super in it. Because he's got great comedic timing there and can say the word doppelganger. Right. Which his dad has no idea what that is. Just gives him two thumbs up. Sure. <laughs> yeah, Joseph is great. Does he know how to sign doppelganger? That's the question. They're still doing this and... I'm happy about uh, that. And when they're not in it for a while and you suddenly see Gemma in the, in the pub and she's thanking someone and she does the sign for thank you, it kind of... Um, it gets, it takes a little second to remember that that's what she's doing. But then when you see them and they're all around about the house and mm. Alice's nowhere to be seen and they're all still doing it. Still yeah. doing it. It's nice. I like it. Yeah. I've, I've been noticing that a lot of, um, a lot of shows and movies now are, are doing more of that. Um, especially with, with deafness, but also with blindness and, and some other things, just making people with disabilities more visible. You know, 
And I think that's great. And I especially like the way that it is incorporated here where it's a young child. Mm -hmm. And even when he's not in the room, the family is still signing to one another. Right. Because that's that's what you would do. Well, especially when you're learning. Right. All right. I'm excited to see where this is going to go, though. I think that there is lots of comedy that can be mined from this, and I think they're doing a, a pretty good job of keeping this of light. Set, yeah, of setting it up and, and not and I love, displaying too much. I love Bernie in the mirror uh, saying, oh, that's a nice blazer. And, right. It's not. And you're, But you're not sure and which is the real accent <laughs> that Jane Hazelgrove has. <laughs> And then she's using, you could be fooled either way. Yeah. And then the other woman going, this is a limited edition, blah, blah, blah. And it's funny because her purse also has the name of this fake designer on it. Right. And it's hideous as well. <laughs> but, you know, just, yeah, I'm, I'm amused by this. And I'm glad that the family is back. And I'm glad that, 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 that their money worries are being played for laughs at the moment and not just misery. Right. Although it's still ridiculous well, sure. that they talk about how much money problems this one. The, the fact that they ask Joseph what he wants for his tea and he says Frankfurters, because of course a 10 year old child says Frankfurters. Well, it seems like fart. So <laughs> I can believe it. And they're like, oh, no, sorry, we don't have any more and we can't afford to go and buy any. Mm -hmm. Come on. They're hot dogs. They're, right. They're the bits that are swept up at the end. They're they're cheap. They're like three bucks a pack of eight. Come on now. Our penultimate storyline this morning is Dylan Goes Electric. On Friday, and Nina's rolls Dylan. Well done. Well done, because that's a deep cut there. If, if only he did go electric in the storyline. That's where it falls down. And Nina's rolls Dylan is dumbstruck when James the footballer walks in. Glenda tells him to go say hello, but Dylan is too shit for you. Also, it's Dylan's last day in Weatherfield, and at this short notice, Sean contemplates maybe arranging something to say cheerio. Right. Well done, Sean. Yes. Glenda comes into the rovers to speak with Sean, who's now been called into work. In comes Lawrence, who oddly skips Glenda's questions about his family, and more importantly, Glenda has an idea for Dylan's farewell. Lawrence has enjoyed watch, watching Sean work. When Sean gets a message from Mary telling him to be at the bistro at seven for a major Dylan surprise, Sean is worried what Glenda and Mary will have organised for a shy teenage boy. Right, yes. More than him is what they've done. More than <laughs> more than you, Sean. I would be careful to complain too much about that. Right. Glenda and Mary's, uh, they wind up Sean with the threat of a cabaret and karaoke at the bistro, but the surprise is that James has turned up to have a kickabout outside with Dylan and some of his mates. While they wait for their food. So Dylan has had a fabulous time kicking a ball back and forth with a reasonably famous local footballer, but he admits to Sean that he doesn't want to go home. London is fucking awful, and his mum is a boot, and he has a much better time here with Sean. Good God, says everyone. <laughs> and that's as far as we get with that. And he seems to have more friends here on the street than he does back home in that London. Well, he keeps on dropping little names. He's doing this with Max and he right. was going away here with so-and-so and all this sort of stuff. Right, so. and Max and and Liam were there at his going away do. Max was? Yeah, from the back. So oh, I don't okay. know if it was actually Max, but I think we're expected to believe that was Max. Okay. Standing Max. <laughs> right. Max's body double. Max is still standing. Right. I think we tried, it, the show carefully tried to skip over this, but it, it kind of stood out like a sore thumb. 
in the pub when Glenda says to Lawrence, oh, we've never heard too much about your family. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence just ignores, ignores it and, and looks yeah. away. So so he also has a deep, dark secret. Uh, Yay. When was the last time we had a character who didn't have a deep, dark secret join the show? Well, we had Phil with two L's, whose only deep, dark secret is that his mom was a bitch. But <laughs> His mom was fabulous. <laughs> she was a fabulous bitch. But, you know. That wasn't deep but, dark but Yeah, but everybody kept saying, oh, Phil's going to, it's going to come out. Phil's going to have a deep, dark secret. Everybody hold fast. Phil's going to come out with a deep, dark secret. And everybody and said it, it exactly like that. And I then, remember me singing that. <laughs> it never happened. And I was relieved that it never happened. And then they pull a 180 and like give every single other person. Who comes into the show? Because Frank had one. He, he was a... A deep, dark secret. He hated kids. Was and his, was also a bully. Uh-huh. That was his deep, dark and secret. we know, we, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's being implied that Leo has a deep, dark secret. Spider. Deep, dark secret. Stew. Deep, dark secret. So, I mean, this is... Par for the course, really. Par for the course. You have to have a deep, dark secret. Right. But it's, it was nice in the show just to remind us of that. Right. That the deep, dark... On the, Aaron had one. His dad. Right, yes. Yeah, dad beats him up. This one is also family-based. Right, it's yeah. Good because can, of course it is. We can file this one along with uh, Aaron's as a family-based deep, dark secret. I think they sort of Im- implied the Undertaker had a deep, dark secret. But his deep, dark secret turned out to be he has a really nice house. Which is really big and where he and Eileen should be living. Yeah, and he didn't enter with that. That was kind of discovered later on. Right, yeah. Well, none of them enter with it. It's yeah. just kind of implied. Yeah, I think The Undertaker was established long enough that that was just made up on the hoof. Yeah, because remember, <clears throat> like, there was all this, all this speculation because he says that he didn't always have a great relationship with his dad when he's talking to Todd. And it's like, oh, you know, a deep, dark secret from the Undertaker's past is going to show up. And it turns out that he was bullied. That's his deep, dark secret. And he has a big, massive house, which is where he and Eileen should be living. And he's a nice guy. Yeah. Oh, and he's got feeling in the back. And Robert's somewhere, but we're not sure where. Correct. Moving on to our final storyline this morning. This is the dusty contents of Addy's wallet. On Monday, Addy goes to visit Kelly early in the morning. She goes to make him coffee, but they're out of milk. So oh no. he suggests that they go to Roy's. They seem close, but not boyfriend-girlfriend close at this point. Eh. And in the roles, Kelly offers to test Addy for his driving test that's coming up this week. She's holding his hand, but they're still not boyfriend-girlfriend at this point. Eh. They arrange to meet later at the bistro. So they met at the Rose Gold Flat and then met at the... Nina rolls and then met at the bistro. But nothing really has happened in between times. At the bistro, Addy has been trying to talk uh, Kelly back into liking Homeless Stew, but she's not up for it. Meanwhile, Ryan has kind of been flirted at by a woman who works for the Gazette. She's trying to push a promotion for a honeymoon giveaway thing that the newspaper's running. <laughs> Kelly catches wind of this, and she and Addy pretend to be engaged. Kelly's channeling her inner Rachel from Friends here. How many times are they going to do this? sort of competition because remember this is not the first time that there's been a couple's competition on the show no it's not where two people pretend to be in a couple to win whatever a fantastic prize right and end up getting married anyway um 
Well, I'm thinking of uh, Mary and Norris mostly right. here. Yeah, but didn't it happen? That there was also another, there was a competition, I think, very similar to this, where there was like trivia about about the couples at the Rovers. Oh, Tracy and Steve had a mis- there was a Mr. and Mrs. thing that was right. running at the, at the Rovers, yeah. And and Tracy got mad because she and Steve lost and somebody who was just barely a couple won. Oh, it was um, Paul and Billy that won it, wasn't it? Maybe. Yeah. Which, Oof, made Tracy, back a while. which made Tracy doubly mad because yeah. she lost to the gays. Right. Because Tracy is secretly homophobic. Or poofs, as I think she called them. <laughs> They're ended in this competition so they can win a honeymoon. Yeah, a trip to Mexico. That Kelly could pay for a hundred times over with the money that she's getting from Rick the Chin. But anyway. Hasn't she hasn't she spent all of that? Oh, she's given, given that all, all away? away? Hmm. Who knows? The journal directs them to an application form online. Seems that they have to make a video for the readers to vote on. Then they're going to do that later in the week. After she goes, Addy assumes Kelly has been joking about this, but she doesn't see what they have to lose and they can fake a marriage and then get divorced or whatever. Or they can stall them and release ferrets in the church or something. She encourages him <laughs> to live in the moment. She encourages him to live in the moment. Yes. And he agrees, so she gets him to fill out the application form. Well done, Kelly. On Wednesday at the Rose Gold Flat, Kelly has learned that the couple's quiz is tomorrow. Addy doesn't know what that is, so Kelly explains the rules of Mr. and Mrs. to him. So they go through a practice run. Addy asks her who would play him in the movie of his life. Riz Ahmed, she says, which he wholeheartedly agrees with. Hmm. When was Kelly the happiest she's ever been, he asks, and then suggests maybe it was when her dad died and she inherited all that lovely cash that could be used to pay for this holiday legitimately. Sickened by this, she goes to throw him out but he's already sensed that he's fucked up and he removes himself without complaint. I thought that was hilarious. Shall I, I'll just go then. Yeah. And she's standing furious at the sink, rinsing out a mug, and he's already gone. <laughs> it just, just made me laugh. <laughs> Later, they bump into each other outside and he apologises, saying that he'll never be so lucky to have a better fake fiancé than her. She agrees, calls him a loser, and apologises for overreacting. And she reckons that he was right. She can't remember many fun memories. It's about time we started creating some then, says Addy, who is a fucking delight. Yes. Back at Addy's now and Dev isn't happy about the two of them being friends or something, not using coasters. Right, yeah, like all of a sudden, both both Asha and Dev, who, let's remember, at one point, Dev allowed Kelly to live in his house. Yes. Both of them all of a sudden think that Kelly is once again a bad influence and not somebody that Addie should be hanging out with. Mm-hmm. When, let's remember, they've been hanging out together quite a bit recently and nobody has accused her of murder or theft or anything recently. Why did she Why did she leave them? She left them because she was accused of something. Right, yeah. Like, um, Asha got mad that Dev allowed her to stay there because on Nina's behalf when Nina was like I don't That's fucking right. care That's right <laughs> Back at Addy's now Because let's remember Asha and Nina are a couple Oh we keep on forgetting that A couple of what? Who knows? A couple of jolly nice fellows Sure next, next question to practice is him asking her what her magic number is She tells him to go first and he pretends to count on his fingers and then arrives at a big fat zero further informing us that he's had a condom in his wallet since year eight so it's not for the want of trying laughing she admits that her number is also zero and she suggests that they lie and tell the competition that they were each other's first what kind of competition is this <laughs> or we could you know 
do it for reals, he suggests. So that's what they do. Right, yes. No awkwardness whatsoever between these two. Her wee face kind of lights up when, and she moves back a little bit, her eyebrows go up, and this, I've watched this scene several times, because it was just so brilliantly done. And they're so adorable together. He's so charismatic. The character is just... Without trying. No, it's effortless. He's so charming, and he's so charismatic, and even when he's bumbling and when right. he says the wrong thing, he draws attention to that and that makes it endearing. And, right. And she's lapping it up. And right. And she's giving back as the charm should. as well. Right. They're so... This is chemistry right here that we're seeing. Seriously. This is... This is... Take notes, everyone else. <laughs> Other then, young people who are attached. And even after this, against all popular belief, rather than it being rubbish... They're thrilled to have learned that their first time was brilliant. <laughs> they really enjoyed themselves. Yeah, that's and they, unbelievable. Right, and they make plans <laughs> to do it again soon. And then to top it all off, Andy presents her with his mother's engagement ring, which she knows that she'll take care of and she can return it later after this whole competition thing's right. over. She slides it onto her finger and they both look pretty chuffed with themselves. This whole bit was just wonderful. Yes. On Friday at home, Addy's pretending that he's getting ready for his driving test, but he's actually revising for this couple's quiz online stuff. Asha comes down to accuse Addy of going through her room and warns him to stay the fuck out. Back at the Rose Gold Flat, Gary's intrigued by the amount of time that Kelly's spending with Addy, and she says that she's only given him moral support for his driving test. He's happy so long as she's happy. And she's happy. Yes, she is. Kelly and Addy are at the Rape Hotel for their couple's quiz, which the journalist is conducting in front of a camera, filming it for the online audience. The journal hopes that Addy and Kelly win. Again, this is very much like the uh, Mary and Norris thing, where Vic Reeves was very much right. w- wanting them to win it. And then proceeds to ask questions that were not any of the ones that they've practised. Right. And also... Slightly invasive mm-hmm. and not fun. Yeah, Addy puts on his headphones first while Kelly gets her questions. And they're going through the answers and it turns out that Addy has done shit. He's got none right and she's right. only got one right. But they're asking, like, how many kids do you want and right. stuff like that. And Kelly, at this point, is like, I don't think this is a great question to be asking people. And the journalist says, like, this is just a bit of fun. Right. Just a bit of fun, me asking you these really personal questions. Right. Addy stands up and makes a passionate plea that it doesn't matter what kind of crisps Kelly prefers he knows that Kelly is the one for him because his heart just lights up every time she walks into the room right she doesn't want any kids and he says two Mm -hmm. and she says she doesn't want any kids because of the way she grew up which is valid the Gazette woman thinks this is brilliant and the readers of the Gazette people like Dev remember will lap this up Addy and Kelly rush home just in time for Addy to scoot off to his driving test. Mary can't believe that her little munchkin is sitting his test today. Her and little Addy Waddy. And she tells him where to find the toilets at the test centre. Right, drive well, off, to go next door to the shop, next door to the test centre, those are where the good bathrooms are. As they drive off, Asha spots Kelly's ring. And the tester says she's not wrong, but not like that. Thank you. Kelly says it was her mum's. Laura the chins. Yes. Addy gets home and does the old pretend that he failed but actually he passed thing. Dev laps it up. He loves the old switcheroo and gives him a car because that time that Dev had money worries, that's all been forgotten about. Addy's about to go for a spin in his new car when Asha comes out to tell him about Kelly having their mum's engagement ring. Addy explains that he gave it to her for the couple's quiz prank and it's 
just a laugh and he's going to get it back from her. And Kelly overhears this and somehow goes mental, throwing the ring into the street. And well, as Addy and Ashy chase after it, Kelly jumps into Addy's new car and steals it and drives off because right. she's Abby now. Abby! Yeah, she's Abby. like, if I'm going to steal something, I'm going to steal something of value, which burned to Addy's mum's ring. But not like that. But not like that. <laughs> which I'm sure was lovely. Uh, and expensive. But, you know, I think I think Kelly is mad because they've had They've sex. had sex. Yes. So the way that he's phrasing it, and he's not saying, oh, I had sex with her for fun and it doesn't mean anything, you know, but to her, it's kind of implied because I think both of them feel more than they did initially mm-hmm. or or this has allowed them to feel more than they did initially because I think they both had the hots for one another right. before now because we saw it when they were going to go on a date. And then Kelly got kidnapped. Right. Because that's a thing that happens. Yep. To Kelly. And and everything. So She's I recovered can, well from that, we'll have to say. So I can understand, well, it's just another trauma to add to the pile. Hmm. So I can understand her being upset. Upset enough to steal the car, however, when she doesn't have a license. Hmm. That that was kind of harsh. The that ring, was over the top. I was I was glad that Asha discovered the ring now though because i was really worried that they were setting this up for asha and dev to accuse bernie of stealing the ring when she's cleaning their house oh i see yeah so i'm glad that's not going to happen or dev might still do that because dev doesn't know at this point yeah but dev doesn't how would dev know that the ring is not there anymore if because Asha he's doesn't going through, tell him. Because he's going through the rooms tidying up that's been set up but as well he's not tidying them up anymore because now he's hired bernie to do that oh they, they can find a way for this. This is nothing. This is nothing to make this happen if that's the way they want to go. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway. All Addy really said was stuff that they'd previously agreed. Right. But that was before they had sex. All and the he se- said those all, lovely all the things. Sex. Right. So Addy goes to chase after her. Um, he has an idea where she's gone. Uh, and he has his bike, but he hasn't been on it since he was 11. So the tires are flat. So he goes off in hot pursuit on Asher's pink princess bike. Wearing a helmet with a unicorn on it. Oh, I'm just surprised there weren't stabilizers on the back. This was right because hilarious. apparently, even though Asha has definitely not ridden this since she was 11, its tires aren't flat. She takes better care of because it because comedy. Right. Addy rides over a footbridge and leaves a message for Kelly, accidentally telling her that he loves her, then apologizes for that and for being an idiot, giving her the ring without telling Asha and how he was only covering. And it's Addy here, by the way. Oh, that was fucking bad. He admits to himself as he rides off. Right. And what emotional maturity this kid has to recognize that the first time he tells her that he's in love with her shouldn't be in a voicemail. Yeah. And recognizing how terrible that was. Right. You know, I just... It it seems like it's impossible for me to love this kid even more, and yet every time I love this kid even more. I'm, I'm exactly the same. He's so brilliant. Addy has successfully tracked his car down, and it's been primed into a bollard. Along comes Kelly, who is listening to his message, and she melts a bit as she asks him if he really loves her. It's it's very friends, this, as well. Later... It absolutely is friends. It, yeah. Later, it's and it's several episodes of Friends. Correct. Later, he announced that he found her because she said this was her happy place, which is like a wee lake. He explains why he lied to Asha and how wonderful he thinks she is and how he really does love her. She tells him only to say it if, it, if he means it. And he says that he does. 
she's falling for him too, which isn't the same, but it's good enough. Back on the street, Dev and Gary are chatting about their kids when Addy rolls back in a car that has been primed in the front with steam pushing out from under the bonnet, and Dev starts to cry. Addy takes the blame, but then Kelly takes the blame, and then a passing Asha backs up Addy. Dev worries that Kelly is a bad influence, but Addy insists this was all on him, and he'll pay to get the car fixed. Kelly and Addy are slowly wandering away, but then Dev asks loudly why Asha's princess bike is in the back of the car, so Addy says, keep walking. <laughs> right, which was also funny and delightful. <laughs> and they walk off camera. Later, Addy and Kelly are home now, winching on the couch and reminiscing about the exciting events of the day. Well, if you think that's exciting, hold on to your knicker, says Addy, because remember that time a couple of days ago you told me to live in the moment? How's this? And he gets down on one knee and proposes for reals this time. <gasps> and Kelly the chin, will you marry me? And she says, sure, why not? <laughs> and that's how we end this week's episodes. <laughs> I loved this. I was so in this. I was yes. so, this is like watching a romantic comedy from your youth. This was watching right. your pretty in pink or something. This was something that just had without a, all the racism without all that stuff in it. And misogyny. Right, right and a, a better ending. But this was... <laughs> It was just so heartwarming, the whole thing. That, and they went to a little bit of an extreme. A little bit of an extreme? They went to an extreme with the car stealing right. thing. But they handled it well. I think as so. As a kind of comedy thing with yes. the, the bike being in the back. That, and what a good sport to be like, yeah, of course I'll ride this bike with this pink helmet on with the unicorn on the front. Right. And, and get all sweaty down my front right. for this role. Of course I will. So I was 100% invested in it. And loving it. But then he proposed for real and she said yes. And it kind of took a little bit away from me. I just... I'm just just really sad because we know this is never going to happen because Millie's leaving the show. Right. Spoiler. Right. And that's that's the thing that bums me out because this is a couple I can get behind. Because it means one or two things. He's going to be heartbroken. Right. Or he's leaving as well. Right. And neither of those things is something that I want. It's especially no. not the last. <laughs> I don't want I'd rather leave. him leave than be heartbroken. Although I don't want him to leave because this is what they keep doing. They keep my my favorite characters keep leaving, and it makes me very sad. Mm. And it, and it leaves the show with characters that they don't know what to do with anymore. But I yeah. But I ig- mean, ignoring that we know this, even even on that basis, I'm still not. Or am I? I think maybe it is. It's a. It's because it's been so wild, widely reported and kind of impossible for us to miss about Kelly leaving that it has, it has informed my view on them. Now, if I didn't know that, maybe I would have been better with it. I don't know. I'm happy about it because I can't wait for other people to find out and for other other women on the show who are not married or engaged right. to their long-term partners looking at their long-term partners saying, what the fuck? The way that it's kind of believable, though, is that it's a reminder of being 17 mm-hmm. or 18 and being that age. And, and being in love for the first time. And being in love time. for the first time. And how how overwhelming that is. Yes. And how caught up in it you get. Right. And But and at the same time, you know, you're like, oh, yes, of course, this is, you know, first love and being swept up and everything. But Addie is the kind of kid that I can see marrying their high school sweetheart and being perfectly happy the rest of their lives. He's that kid. Right. He is that kid. I'm not 100% sure Kelly's that kid. She's not that kid. But but 
I, but it's it's believable. And again, they have great chemistry together. I can believe that they are in love with one another. Mm-hmm. Sad for Simon. Yeah, and and Amy. Right. Well, Amy can still be a thing. Well, we had Eventually. Addie and Amy having their little detective agency together right, with yes. their large dog. But well, maybe Kelly is the Daphne of this situation, and Amy is the Velma. Yeah, we, we, we can work it. I'm we sure. still have no Shaggy. But that's Plus fine. Bernie. <laughs> and Bernie's mate, who was a stoner. Remember? Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes, that's right. But anyway, yeah, I I find this really lovely and delightful. I am mad as hell that they finally give Kelly a storyline where she's happy yep. towards the end. And I will be even madder than hell if it turns out that this happiness is going to lead to something awful that takes her away from the show. Yeah. Because of course it will. <sighs> and I, I don't want another, and I'm, I am, I am speculating here. I'm not saying that this is absolutely what's going to happen, but I really don't want to have another couple, another young couple start out and us being really invested in them and saying, oh, wow, this is a really great pairing between the two of them. And then one of them dies horribly. Yeah, I, didn't really I do not want, want a Seven Nina, Nina situation again. I agree. And that's, surely it's, it's, that, that's all far too close for them to go down Well, that one route. would think, however. <laughs> yeah. You, the you show do worry keeps about repeating it. itself over and over and over and over again. So. You do worry about it. And, and even in the more recent history i always loved toy and imran together and look how that turned out right yeah <sighs> i mean I, I try and fill that hole with spider but it's a big hole thanks yeah. imran S- spider can't fill imran's hole no they really really can't <laughs> really can't either like that or not like that no it's so sad because he's not a supernatural creature from stephen king's the outsider <laughs> but <laughs> stop going on about that because nobody's read it was already made into a limited series with Ewan McGregor, so everybody knows. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it was nice. It was nice. We briefly got to see Carla and Peter be cute with one another this week. You know, the show reminding us that Carla and Peter are still a thing. Mm-hmm. And it also reminded us that James is a footballer. Right. Yes. That doesn't really have anything to do with couples on the street. No, it but doesn't, but we did get It was nice to remember that James is actually a semi-famous football player. And it was nice for the show to remember that. And I can kind of see like his neighbors forgetting that occasionally. And we have to have this outsider from London come in and be like, oh, wow, that's that's James. You know, and, and everybody being like, oh, yeah, he lives next door. Yeah. It's no big deal. Right. I can kind of see that. It's like the people who live across the street from Stephen King. Right. Oh, yeah, Stephen King's across the street. Yeah, well, isn't that Susan Collins, that horrible senator? Or did she move? She moved. She used to live across the street from Stephen King. That was her house that was for sale at yeah. a reasonable price. Yeah, we almost bought it. We could so we could be yeah. Stephen King's neighbours. Anyway. And live in Maine. That was the week that was Coronation Street. It was. What was your moment of the week? Addie and Kelly at the pond. Oh, at the pond? Yeah. Not the little chart. Leading up to the <laughs> no, no. I think the way that that kind of where where he formally says "I love you" and and she says "I think I'm falling for you as well" and you know and them talking 
maturely about about each other and their lives and everything and yeah and that reminds me that i wanted to, to kind of draw a little bit of attention to that that he says that he loves her and she says i'm i think i'm falling for you too right which isn't the same as i love you but that made it more believable yes that she wasn't immediately in the i love you or i'm ready to say that i love you but right. she can see herself getting there right that felt like a kelly thing yes it felt it was a kind of self-protection maybe a little bit but right. also I, I don't want to just say it because you said it and that made it more believable as well and was it was it Faye and um craig who had a similar conversation where one said i love you and the other one said i think i'm falling for you too i can't remember i think it was and this was this was a far more believable and you believe kelly yeah you don't believe Faye. These sorts of interactions sometimes work and they sometimes don't. And here's a situation in which they work. And I think at one point Nina and Seb had this conversation where one was ready to say I love you and the other one said, well, I think I'm falling for you too. Really, you seem to have memories of this being almost repeated ad nauseum through the show. Well. I don't really really recall it it as much as that. But anyway, we're drawn drawn away from the fact that this was our moment of the week. week. Moment of the week. Yeah. At the little pond. It was a nice little framed show as well. Yes, Very yes, it good. was. It was really nicely shot. Your boring moment of the week? Chesney worrying about the kebab <laughs> coupons. <laughs> oh, Chesney, when will you stop worrying about those kebab coupons? <laughs> Not this week. And that is our boring moment of the week. <sighs> just, can you please just let Chesney smile? And I mean, she's obviously made them herself. Yeah. And she says they are, you know... And her response, well, they are he's, when I'm working. He's pissed off that she's going to give away two three-pound kebabs. Right. Big deal. One to his maybe soon-to-be wife. Right. The mother his of fiance, his children. Certainly. And her brother. I thought it was funny when uh, Gemma was wearing Paul's hat and Paul was wearing Gemma's hat. And Paul says, G for gay. <laughs> then he puts on that pink sparkly hat. And that turns Billy on. It certainly does. G for gay. Much to much to Den's discom- dis- dis- discomfort. Well, more than that, I think. Is, is that the is that the title of this app? G for gay. No. Oh. it's the Weatherfield Inquisition. I think I've called it. Oh, that's fun. That was quite fun. G for gay. <laughs> if you have any alternate suggestions for the title of this episode please write in, in to tell us we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram you can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube please. channel and if you're so inclined please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more the talk of the street the talk of the street bye Cheerio.